This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Our guests today on the show are Tom Yamachika, president of the Tax Foundation of Hawaii. Hi, Tom. How are you this morning? Great. Thank you for having me on the show. Yes. And we have Nicole Wu. She's the director of research and economic policy at the Hawaii Children's Action Network and a member of the Hawaii Tax Fairness Coalition. Good morning, Nicole. Good morning, Catherine. And Kaylee Akina, president of the public think tank Grassroot Institute of Hawaii. Good morning, Kaylee. Well, good morning, Catherine. Much aloha to you and the other panelists. Yes, and you know, we are at a point at this session where we know more about the $1.6 billion federal pandemic relief for states. You know, economists are forecasting a brighter picture, although still a slow recovery. The House has just passed the state budget bill restoring many of the critical social service programs, but some bills calling for tax relief and tax hikes still hang in the balance. And while we'll be talking mainly about the tax hike proposals today, we should uh, mention a tax relief bill uh, that now li- likely won't happen because it appears that lawmakers' hands may be tied uh, by what is spelled out in the federal relief bill. Uh, we did talk to House Finance Chair Sylvia Luke yesterday afternoon about this. So the one that is of most concern to me was that there was a bill to extend the EITC, which is Earned Income Tax Credit, which provides tax credit specifically for our low-income working families. That credit would sunset in 2022. So we had a bill extending that sunset, but even an extension was seen as a tax, tax relief, so we couldn't pass that bill this year. We are hoping that we will get better guidance and more information during the summer, and then we'll revisit some of these issues next year. But, at, uh, but currently, we didn't want to jeopardize the $1.6 billion by passing tax relief bills. And so, I don't know, Tom, you want to jump in here? You know, what, what are your thoughts on that? I know we all need this $1.6 billion uh, bailout, and you, you don't want to jeopardize it. Sure. What Sylvia is talking about is a provision in the American Rescue Plan Act, or ARPA, Section 9901. And, and what that says is that if you're going to take, if you as a state are going to take uh, relief funds, um, then you can't use them for tax relief, which it, which includes lowering a tax rate, uh, enacting or extending credits, um, making deductions or exclusions. If none of that is allowed, you know, either directly or indirectly, uh, the language in the statute is kind of vague, which is really paralyzing legislatures all across the country uh, because they you know, don't want to jeopardize their piece of the, you know, the billions of dollars that uh, federal government has generously made available to the states. And Nicole, uh, I'm not sure, did you uh, weigh in on this bill? Oh, yes. The Hawaii Children's Action Network cares a lot about the EITC because it's really fantastic anti-poverty programs that's designed to help families, lower income and working class families with children. They get the biggest tax credit. So we uh, care a lot about the EITC. Um, about a week and a half ago, when state officials across the country, like Tom said, expressed concern about this part of the ARPA, uh, the U.S. Treasury Department did say that states can cut taxes without a penalty um, as long as they use their own funds to offset those cuts. So if we were to pass some bills at the same time that were, about the, that were the same amount or more than the amount 
in the EITC extension, then it seems like that would be okay. But Representative Luke is right. We're still waiting for very specific guidance to come from the U.S. Treasury. I've heard that it might come out in April. Um, we'll see. Um, it, nobody really knows. But she's being cautious. She wants to make sure that we don't lose our federal funds. And luckily, we do have a little bit of extra time since the EITC doesn't expire until the end of 2022. And what are your thoughts, Kaylee? Well, definitely getting $1.6 billion from the federal government is certainly something that many legislators would cheer about. But it really doesn't address the long-term issues that were really at play even before the COVID epidemic hit us. Basically, we had economic policy that was leading us into a downturn economically. The fact is that there are other ways to get the $1.6 billion and even more by adopting good policies in the long run. For example, the state's economist has found that if Hawaii cut taxes by 2% and the economy also grew by 1% faster than expected, we can actually generate $3 billion over the next 25 years. In addition, we have found that if we reduced certain regulations and grew 2% faster, we would generate $7 billion in revenues over the next 25 years. And the point is simply this. I could go on with measures we could take. But it's not absolutely essential for Hawaii to continue to go into debt and to take federal funding as well. What's more important is to get the economy up and running through good fiscal policy, and that will actually generate more funds for the outcomes that we really want, which is really to help those who are the poor and in the middle class to climb the economic ladder. And, you know, there was a uh, bill, uh, Bill 56, or I should say there is a bill, uh, and, and Tom, you called this the Enola Gay Bill. Uh, this was, I th- believe, a bill that would uh, enact a, ta- a tax, uh, a higher tax on the top earners, you know, uh, a tax on the rich. Uh, we did talk with uh, Sylvia Luke uh, about this. Uh, uh, here's what she had to say. What was shocking to us was that many doctors spoke up and small business individuals and architects and engineers, they wrote in and called our offices and said, you know, I'm at a time where we're trying to expand the economy and we want access to health care. This would send the wrong message when hospitals and, you know, hospitals like Maui Health is trying to recruit specialists and doctors to come to Hawaii and this is sending a wrong message. So at least on the House side, we're not entertaining that bill. And Tom, uh, you just shared with me before the show that there's been a new development about uh, Bill 56. Right. So um, uh, so Senate Bill 56 had within it, um, you know, a number of different tax hikes, uh, income tax, conveyance tax, general excise tax, all within a, you know, an, an omnibus bill. And uh, that's, you know, kind of why I called it the Enola Gay bill, because it really had a, uh, you know, a really devastating payload on it. Uh, when it when it hit the House, uh, it got um, a very chilly reception, uh, and uh, it was what we call quadruple referred, uh, meaning that uh, the Speaker's office, uh, you know, set forth you know, four different committees that had to hear it and pass it before the, you know, relevant deadlines, which is almost impossible to do, uh, thereby sending a message that, um, you know, th- that type of omnibus, uh, you know, tax increase uh, is, 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 you know, not going to be 
uh, looked unfavorably by the House. Uh, so uh, what the Senate just did, and, and this was you know, uh, as of last night, uh, was it released uh, a um, proposed Senate draft of a House bill that's now on their side, and it's House Bill 58, which basically stuffs a number of the Enola Gay provisions into it uh, and a little more. So it, uh, it has the conveyance tax. Uh, it has the general excise tax suspension, uh, the, uh, the suspension of the exemption. Uh, it has a provision uh, lowering the threshold for estate tax uh, from uh, $5.45 million, you know, $5 million to $3.5 million. Uh, and uh, it doesn't contain the income tax provisions, but those may be you know, put into other bills. So uh, the discussion has not been squelched. It's very much alive, uh, and we need to uh, unfortunately wait until the conference committees have done their work before we find out what's survived. And uh, I know this is an example of what some call a Franken-bill, right, where you take parts of one and you assemble a new body? Yeah, parts of a dead body and, uh, <laughs> and and try to make the whole package come alive. I call it a Franken-Bill. And Kaylee, I know you feel strongly uh, about uh, this uh, wealth tax. Well, basically, HB 56 was going to target those at the highest end of the economic ladder in the belief and the wrong belief that by taxing them more, we could actually raise more money and help other people. And that's simply mistaken. But before I, I point out why, I think it's important to recognize that I believe in Hawaii we're all committed to some basic outcomes. So the question is not about fairness. It's about outcomes such as an economy that produces a supply of jobs so the poor and middle class can climb the economic ladder. We want that. We want a supply of housing that is affordable to everyone. We want enough doctors to eliminate the shortage. That's something that Representative Luke mentioned. And we want adequate government funding for essential services and safety nets. Here's the problem. Raising taxes on the most wealthy is actually counterproductive to doing this. The top 1% here in Hawaii pay 25% of all taxes. And by raising taxes on them, we're going to drive them away in terms of their residency as well as their, their income. And some of these figures that try to calculate how much can be raised by raising taxes on the wealthy simply do not take into account the fact that many of them would leave. Uh, we've got a project at the Grassroot Institute that, that uh, helps people who have decided to leave Hawaii explain their reason why I left Hawaii. And many physicians are leaving simply because they simply can't make the margins financially needed to stay here. And with increased taxes, that would be harder. So the bottom line is this. The, the bills that have been introduced to raise taxes on the wealthy are not actually going to accomplish what they were set out to accomplish. They're not going to help the poor and the needy. And what we really need is a tax system that produces the outcomes in the economy that we need. And Nicole, do you agree with uh, what Kaylee has to say about this? I think Kaylee brings up a lot of myths that are very popular to talk about, um, but he hasn't really cited where he's getting his evidence from. Um, during the last recession, the Great Recession, um, I was actually the, the director of domestic policy, that's U.S. policy, at an economic policy think tank in Washington, D.C. 
and I spent about 10 years there, just looking at nothing except the U.S. economy and how we can make it grow for working families. And we learned some lessons from the last recession, um, not just my think tank, but other ones like the Economic Policy Institute, the Center for American Progress, looked at states during the last recession and what they did with their budgets. The states that cut their programs and cut their spending, they had slower growth, slower recoveries, more un unemployment, while the states that had kept their uh, budgets full or even increased their government budgets due to the greater need for social programs during the recession, those states had faster economic growth. And the reason for that is that although KLEE cited some studies about how lowering taxes might increase growth of an economy, that's when an economy is healthy. Um, but right now, our economy is not healthy. We have the highest unemployment rate in the nation. Um, the economy is driven by consumer spending. Two-thirds of the economy is consumer spending. And we know without our tourists and with so many unemployment, unemployed people, our private spending, our consumer spending has died. That's like if you have a plane with two engines and the private spending has died. You have one other engine. That's the government. And we need the government to keep money flowing through the economy so that people can afford to go to local businesses so that struggling unemployed families aren't, you know, um, aren't um, getting evicted and are able to pay their rent to their landlords and they're able to pay their mortgages and they're able to buy food in the grocery stores and, you know, maybe even go out to a restaurant every now and then. So during a hurting economy, which is what we have now, the ideas about taxes are very different. And it's been shown that rich people tend to save their money and if you tax them more, it doesn't affect the amount of money that they spend. And that money goes into the economy, goes to regular working people who do end up spending it in the economy. Um, so that's the big difference. Were you surprised? Um, with million, no, and you... with the millionaire flight, there's no correlation between the states that have the most millionaires and the states that have the highest taxes. You know, millionaires are in you know, California, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago. Those are some of the highest tax places. Um, researchers have studied this, and they don't find that millionaires and rich people move away just because of taxes, because the fact is that they can afford to live where they want. They choose to live where they live based on things like the weather and infrastructure, schools and um, you know, other things that governments invest in. So you know, that's a bit of a myth, this idea that people leave just because of were you surprised to learn uh, about uh, uh, 56 becoming 58? Yeah, this is the first time hearing about it. Um, so it sounds like the Senate um, really wanted the House to at least give that bill a hearing in the House, let the public weigh in. And when the House, you know, like Tom described, gave SB 56 an impossible task, the Senate, I guess, has responded by saying, you know what, we're going to give it another hearing here in the Senate. We're going to keep discussion going. Well, if you're just joining the conversation, we're talking about uh, tax bills that lawmakers have been mulling over this session. We'd like to know what you think. You can join the discussion by calling 941-3689 or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We will be back with our guests, Nicole Wolf of the uh, Hawaii Tax Fairness Coalition, Kaylee Akina, uh, Director of the Grassroots Institute of Hawaii, and Tom Yamachika, President of the Tax Foundation of Hawaii, right after the station break. 
Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, featuring island-style lunch at the open-air Homa Cafe and galleries and courtyards open during extended weekend evening hours. Admission tickets at honolulumuseum.org. The saying goes that the news is the first rough draft of history. As we explore on NPR's throughline, it can be very, very rough. But it's a task we take seriously. That's why reporters at this station and NPR work hard to bring you the facts and get it right the first time. So don't settle for a rough first draft. Support journalism you can trust by giving now. Become a sustaining member at $10 a month at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for HPR comes from Chamber Music Hawaii, presenting the Galliard String Quartet, performing music of Beethoven, Mozart, and Stefan Conk in a live stream concert 4 p.m. tomorrow. Tickets at kahilu.tv. You are back with the conversation. We're talking about taxes and the tax bills that are pending at the state legislature. We do have a call coming in from Maui. Judy, what's on your mind? Well, thanks very much. I'm honored to be able to make a few comments. And my comments are particularly, uh, but not exclusively, with regard to seniors uh, and kapunas during this uh, economic, trying economic time. And I've noted that the federal filing date uh, has been extended a month, which was truly a windfall to many, many people who have been distracted in a thousand ways, if only by how to pay their current bills with that $1,400, whatever. Um, and we're thrilled to find that we have a little breathing space here, as I'm sure are a multitude of accountants. Uh, however, we've heard nothing like that from the state. In fact, just a couple of days ago in the Maui Online publication, which not that many people get, relatively speaking, it noted that Maui, that, that Hawaii would not be changing its filing date. So in effect, everyone here must file or get an extension um, on their filing because to put together our state return, we have to put together all the returns. So that's a real problem as I see it. Similarly, uh, with regard to unemployment comp, the federal government has said it will not tax its income. I believe it's a sum up to $9,000 in, in unemployment comp benefits. But the state has made no similar mention. So once again, a double whammy there. And uh, unemployment comp is, of course, urgently needed by so many people, um, including seniors. Uh, the census, contact tracing, many, many seniors uh, with the ability to do that got in touch with the federal and the state government, um, got told initially, we got your application, and heard nothing after that. Now those seniors are to a significant extent um, in possession of their two shots and an ample time afterward to be arguably immune. Um, but we're hearing nothing, uh, not only about those things, but about other applications. Now, well, I know, you know there is a lot of frustration out there about unemployment, and it is tax time. And as people start to gather their documents, yeah, it is, it is something to consider. But unfortunately, we don't have anyone from the state tax office here to be able to address that. Uh, but, you know, there, we're, we're talking about a number of the tax bills that are um, uh, pending out there. We did also get another listener comment. Uh, we have uh, Kathleen from Kaneohe. 
Hi, this is Kathleen. I'm calling from Kaneohe. With the soaring prices of housing and our short supply on housing, and with so many of our local households being sold to out-of-state investors or out-of-state residents, I think it is important that we raise the tax on real estate that's valued at over $2 million. You know, we can use that money to help our state and to support our local families and our local systems like education, child care, different, you know, like food and care services. I think that it's important that, you know, we make the most of that funding um, and to support our families and the folks that grew up here. And Tom, you know, you've seen attempts uh, in years past, I think, to try and figure out if we can legally tax, you know, foreign investment. Any thoughts on this? Well, okay, let me let me um, address, uh, you know, the uh, the first caller's concern, uh, because I, I think I have an answer to that one. Um, the, you know, the, the second caller raises kind of more policy-oriented uh, arguments, and, and that, that may take a little bit longer for me. Uh, but uh, with with regard to the uh, the filing deadline, uh, one thing that people need to keep uh, in mind uh, is that in, here in Hawaii we have an automatic extension. So uh, and the automatic extension is for six months. You don't have to do anything to be uh, eligible for the automatic extension because it's automatic. Um, you don't have to do anything. Uh, so uh, as long as um, uh, you know you don't owe a whole bunch of tax um, that you should have been paying in throughout the year anyway, because you know the estimated tax requirements have not changed, uh, then uh, then you should be totally fine uh, submitting in May. Uh, with your federal, okay, uh, and with regard to the uh, exclusion of uh, unemployment benefits, uh, yes, the, the feds did pass uh, in the American Rescue Plan Act a provision that says the first ten thousand two hundred dollars of unemployment benefits received in 2020 won't be taxed by them, uh, which is you know contrary to the usual rule. The usual rule. And, and, and the rule that the, uh, the Labor Department has been advising uh, you know, taxpayers on, uh, at least according to their testimony uh, before the legislature, is that, hey, you know, we, we, they say we always tell people it's taxable. So we, we give people the option to withhold tax when they, when they get their unemployment comp benefits. Uh, and if they, you know, don't take that option, it's really up to them to... Um, Make sure that they are uh, good with estimated tax. Um, so that's kind of what they've been telling people. Um, so I think that takes care of the first caller, and uh, not, uh, I'll, I'll leave it to the other more policy-minded people to, to kind of address the second one. Who wants to jump in here, uh, Kelly or? Uh, well, uh, Catherine, I, I think Tom has answered oh. that well, and I'm wondering if I can go back to our earlier portion in which Nicole raised some questions about our data. And uh, I appreciate where she's coming from. I think we are on the same page when it comes to the outcomes we want to see here in Hawaii for the poor and the middle class. We want there to be opportunity. But uh, the information we presented is well documented, a good example of the fact that raising taxes will actually reduce the tax revenues the state gets and lowering taxes will actually raise the revenues the state gets. It comes from the Tax Review Commission paper called Who's Pay, 
who pays Hawaii's taxes, published March 17, 2021, by Seth Colby of the Department of Taxation. The research is there, and I'd like to just make sure that people have access to it. They can go to our own report called Roadmaps to Prosperity, and that's at grassrootinstitute.org. The bottom line is this. When we raise taxes, we not only cause some residents to leave, but even for those who may not leave, they send their money away. They could easily incorporate in Nevada or elsewhere. I can give you numerous examples of people who've done that. The bottom line is we must not kill the golden goose, the goose that lays the golden eggs. We must not overtax that segment of the population and the businesses that ultimately produce the jobs that give the economy the boost that it really needs. And, Nicole, you wanted to say something uh, about the uh, outside investment, foreign investment? Yeah, well, for all of those. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, KLEE is, is basically describing what people know of as trickle-down economics, right? We make sure that rich people have more money and that their wealth will trickle down to the rest of us. Um, it, it really hasn't worked in the past, right? We, we had massive tax cuts under Reagan. We had a recession. Bill Clinton raised taxes. We had our first budget surpluses. So, you know, he and I are not, I don't want to go back and forth with him for an hour on this, but I think there's a basic difference between whether or not giving wealthy people more money helps the rest of us. I personally, you know, as I said, I worked at the think tank for a year looking at nothing but this, uh, for 10 years, looking at nothing but this kind of stuff. And trickle down doesn't work. It never has. Um, and, but besides the point, my, um, I want to make a difference between an economy that's hurting like ours now, um, because even those who think that trickle-down works, it's different when you're in the middle of a recession, and we have the highest unemployment rates in the nation. Going back to that plane with two engines, we need to put more gas into the government engine because the private sector, the consumer spending, the tourist engine is smothering. And so it's just sort of how it works. Um, Spending is the gas to the economy. On the unemployment tax relief, there were bills in the House and the Senate. I can't remember which bills they were, but they were intended to relieve um, people who were getting unemployment insurance benefits from having to pay taxes on it. There are some states that do provide some relief um, from unemployment insurance taxes, so it's not unheard of. And as you know, you've mentioned, the federal government is providing some. Those bills have been put aside because of this concern that we started the show with about whether or not the federal relief allows states to do that. And um, what about this idea then, of, uh, of taxing uh, foreign investors? Uh, you know, I know other uh, locales have tried that. Uh, I think Canada did that. But, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if that's going to pass legal muster here in the U.S. Okay, yeah. Well, I was listening to the second caller who was saying that we should tax higher end income to help invest in the things that, you know, regular young families need, like affordable housing and good education. And I think most folks know that we, we're not allowed to have a property tax in Hawaii due to our state constitution. Um, so one of the provisions in the SB 56 bill, the big uh, progressive revenue tax bill, is increasing the conveyance tax sales tax on real estate when you sell it. And during the time that SB 56 went through the Senate, the Senate uh, Ways and Means Chair, Senator Dela Cruz, he actually raised um, the, uh, the point at which the tax would be, the level at which they would start increasing the tax. 
So in the bill, it increases the conveyance tax on properties over $4 million. Um, and so basically, it's a way to get some extra revenue from people who are doing really well during this recession. We know that high-end real estate in Hawaii is just skyrocketing. And since we can't tax property at the state level, this conveyance tax, increasing the amount of sales tax on properties over $4 million, um, is one of the ways that the SB 56 bill tries to get at that, um, a way to get some more revenue to help the rest of us, people who are hurting, um, from those who are just doing, you know, great during the recession. Anything you and want to add to that? Yeah, that's there's a U.S. Okay, Lee. Yeah. Sure, I didn't want to cut anyone off. The the caller from Kaneohe who uh, asked the question about foreign investment, I'll just pitch in a couple of thoughts here if that's all right. Mm -hmm. Research really shows that raising taxes on property does not lead to lower property values. Here in Hawaii, we already have the highest property values in the nation and among the highest taxes in other areas. So that's already a disincentive for foreign investors. What we should do is really foster entrepreneurship, attracting entrepreneurs who are looking to lower taxes to come to Hawaii by lowering our taxes. And, and that would really generate more revenue. It's very easy for investors also to dodge taxes as well. Well, foreign investors don't have to pay so many of the taxes here, like income tax, right? So we're talking about foreign investors who buy properties, high-end properties here. And because we have the lowest property taxes in the nation, that incentivizes them to bid up these houses. Um, and, you know, I've, I've seen letters to the editor in the Star Advertiser where people will say, I was thinking about buying an investment property in Texas versus Hawaii. Taxes are way higher in Texas, so I, I decided to buy my investment property in Hawaii. So there is an effect because it affects the carrying cost, the annual cost of our high-end real estate. Um, and so, you know, with foreign investors, they're not subject to income taxes and so many of the other taxes here in Hawaii. But in well, terms me, of just uh, charging foreigners more, that. we've heard that there's a constitutional issue, U.S. Constitution treating foreign investors differently from U.S. citizens. Tom, you wanted to interject something? Yeah. Um, you know, really, uh, if, if you are a foreign person or, you know, somebody from another state and you're investing in property in Hawaii, uh, you get taxed uh, our capital gains tax just like anybody else. You get taxed on the income that is made from the property just like anybody else. You get taxed on... Uh, if, if rental income is made, for example, you've got to pay GE tax like everybody else. And if the, um, uh, the person who uh, is paying you the rent isn't uh, a long-term tenant but is only there for uh, less than six months, then you have to pay the transient accommodations tax at 10 and a quarter percent just like everybody else. So um, uh, you know, for, foreign investors and out-of-state investors don't get breaks. Uh, some of them well, are not aware of their obligations, out. and they just don't I can see buildings in Kaka'ako, and most of the windows in those multi-million dollar condos are dark in the evening. So I think a lot of our high-end property is being purchased by foreigners who don't even bother to put people in it. Um, so, you know, this is, again, it could be a whole show. Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't have time <laughs> for that. Are, yeah. Well, I... 
Well, you know, this is the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. You can join our discussion today by calling one 941 3689 Stay with us. We will be right back after a short break. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Ward Village, committed to creating community and supporting businesses in the islands. Learn more at wardvillage.com. Next time on Ask Me Another, from Zoe's extraordinary playlist, actors Jane Levy and Alex Newell talk about the musical numbers in every episode. I'm much more afraid of singing. Singing is really difficult for me, but... She nails it every time. That's what she (laughs) meant after the butt. So join me on NPR's Ask Me Another, the answer to life's funnier questions. Beginning Saturday at noon, following Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii. One of the taxes under consideration at the legislature this year was one, uh, I guess, called the sugar tax. Uh, I, I believe uh, Daniela Spoto of the uh, Hawaii Apple Seed, she's the director of the uh, Anti-Hunger Initiative, uh, she, I think, supported uh, SB 541, which uh, imposes a fee for uh, s- uh, sugar-sweetened beverages and would establish uh, a special fund for that money to be deposited, deposited into. Uh, here's what Daniela had to say. There are some exemptions, but that would include all um, sodas, things like Aloha Sun, um, any sugary drink. It does not include 100% fruit juice, like apple juice, and it does not include diet soda. It would generate $65.8 million in revenues per year is the projection. Um, obviously, the soda industry does not want to see this because it, it has shown to reduce sales, um, which, of course, as public health advocates, we applaud. We also see opposition from retailers going to be a burden to them. We don't actually see a lot of opposition from the people that actually drink sodas. We've done some focus groups and gotten some feedback from communities, from folks that drink soda that say, you know, it kind of makes sense. If we're going to tax anything, we should we should tax things like um, sodas that are not good for us. You know, it's just like the tobacco tax. In 2020, there was a poll done by Ward Research that showed that actually 81% of Hawaii registered voters support a one cent per ounce fee on sugary drinks when the revenues go towards children's health programs. That's an important caveat. We should note that uh, I believe the, the sugar tax bills did not get a hearing uh, this session. Uh, that's right. Uh, isn't that, Tom? Uh, that's right. There was actually an administration bill uh, that uh, proposed a um, sugary beverages tax. It was introduced by the Department of Health. And of course, that means it went in on both sides. Um, neither side heard it. There were no hearings in the House, no hearings in the Senate. And of course, uh, uh, you know, very, very early on when the first legislative deadline uh, hit, uh, you know, that bill was no longer in play. Why do you think that is? I mean, if the governor was willing to consider it? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, uh, we we don't know the motives of the uh, of the legislators who decided uh, you know not to hear it or 
we, we don't know whether the decision came from leadership or from the uh, subject matter chairs or whoever, but um, that's kind of uh, how it came down. I mean, the uh, you know we've had uh, sugar sweetened beverage tax considered in previous sessions of the legislature, uh, and they've gotten you know, to various degrees, uh, but but you know none of them passed the finish line. And uh, Kaylee, do you support a sugar tax? Well, I think it's trying to solve a problem using the wrong method. If we care about the health of our population, we want to make sure that we have enough doctors, so we don't want to tax them out of the state. We also want to make sure that enough revenues are flowing uh, to the services that actually deal with our health. Here's the problem when we choose a specific problem and try to tax it. It disincentivizes business, and it has a ripple effect affecting a good number of businesses, not to mention the fact that it impinges upon our personal liberties. I think that it's a good thing that we're not coming into a sugar tax, and other municipalities and states have discovered that already. And, Nicole, what are your thoughts? Well, this is a tax of choice, so people do get to decide whether or not they buy soda. And we know that there are serious diseases by cause, caused by drinking too much, um, too many sugary beverages like diabetes and heart disease. So if we do want to save our health system money, um, reducing the consumption of sugary beverages does work. Um, and in terms of revenues, as Daniela said on her uh, just a few minutes ago, this revenue would be going to a trust fund to specifically address health issues. Um, so when Kaylee says we need to have revenue flowing, that's exactly what this sort of tax is meant to do. It is in the same category as cigarette taxes, alcohol taxes. Um, taxes serve two purposes. One is to raise revenue, but another is to affect behavior. And if there is something that um, harms the health of the population, um, it is in the, govern in the government's um, purview to put some taxes on it. It's basic economic incentives um, on the consumers. And as I said, consumers make the choice. So um, they can decide not to buy soda, then they don't have to pay the tax. Okay, uh, moving on, we did have a question emailed. Uh, let's see, John Bickle from Waikiki. He wants to know, how can a state with such a progressive electorate produce such regressive tax policy? Uh, Tom? Um, okay, well, I, I think, you know, part of the problem may be that um, uh, there's perhaps some different ideas of what progressive means. In, in the tax world, progressive means uh, that people with more means pay more tax. Uh, and, uh, you know, here in Hawaii, we rely heavily, uh, probably you know, the heaviest, to the heaviest degree in the nation uh, on our general excise tax, which, um, because it's imposed on transactions, really doesn't, uh, and, and, and it's just on transactions, it doesn't consider anything else. It doesn't, it, doesn't, um, uh, it doesn't consider the means of the person who's paying the tax, and therefore it's a regressive tax, which is you know, something that's the opposite of progressive. So uh, because uh, we rely on our general excise tax to the extent that maybe, you know, half of our 
general fund revenue roughly uh, comes from the general excise tax. It's a tax on business. Uh, that's uh, why, uh, and because the general excise tax is regressive, that's that's why we have uh, the uh, you know the regressive nature of our overall tax burden. Uh, income tax is pretty much the only tax that considers the means of uh, the uh, person paying the tax, uh, and that is a you know an important component, uh, but not the biggest one. To put it in perspective, like our GE tax brings in like maybe $3.5 billion a year. Uh, the net income tax on individuals uh, brings in $2.5 billion. And then everything else combined uh, brings in between 2 and $2.5 billion. Now, one of the things that, that really does drive the tax system revenue uh, is, is business because uh, most of our our taxes are, uh, are based on business, business privilege tax. Uh, that's what the general excise tax is. Uh, we have taxes on special industries like trends and accommodations, liquor, fuel, uh, tobacco. Uh, those are excise taxes based on transactions. Um, and uh, almost everything we've got in terms of, of, of uh, tax revenue is is business driven. So, uh, what I have been, you know, at least trying to say from my perspective, is we need to get our business engine uh, going and running uh, so that it can help our economy. And, and that's how the government will get its tax revenue, at least under the system that it has now. And, Kelly, do you think we've got a regressive uh, tax policy? We have both a regressive tax policy with respect to our general excise tax and its impact on the poor, and a progressive tax policy that taxes the rich. And the reason is very simple to understand. Our state government is addicted to spending. In fact, it spends so much that the rate of spending uh, and growth of the state government is double the rate of the growth of the economy, which is a very bad economic indicator. You know, overall, Hawaii pays the most state taxes in the nation at $5,400 per capita. That's more than double the national average of $2,664 per capita. You mentioned regressive tax. Our GE tax is the most regressive in the nation. Our income taxes are up there at the top as well. Unemployment taxes are scheduled to rise by 38%. And although it was mentioned earlier that we have low property taxes, the amounts that come in are very high because we have high property values. And our average property tax bill is on a par with the rest of the nation. So l let's not have any illusion about it. We are overpaying on taxes, and the reason is that our government is just spending too much, not cutting enough, and not being economical enough about the use of money. Not you know, the level of economic activity that we need. You mentioned property taxes. I, I should mention that uh, on the Big Island, uh, the county there uh, had a proposal to. Uh, uh, raise uh, the taxes on the uh, wealthiest uh, of the residents. I think uh, that accounted to about 935 people uh, uh, of those who own uh, the properties on the Big Island. Uh, apparently the bill was amended to say that those property owners could then designate a charity of their choice. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think th that bill then got put on pause. But, you know, the counties are definitely looking at ways to come up with money in order to uh, uh, 
you know, boost their sagging budgets. Uh, you know, when I talked to finance chair Sylvia Luke yesterday, you know, she it gave kind of a uh, the long view and her concern. Uh, here's what she had to say about the economy. The fact that the federal government gave such a huge relief amount this time around actually signals to me, me that chances of them coming out with another relief will be very slim to none. Um, and the fact that this relief package, unlike the CARES funding, which has a really short time frame, this allows us to spend this money, um, American Relief Package funds, until 2024. So that, that also signals that they're not going to give states any relief until 2024. What's interesting, Catherine, is that um, a lot of the states have already reached pre-COVID revenue um, picture, whereas Hawaii will not hit 2019 revenues until 2024, um, which is somewhat, um, you know, sad and stressful because we're lucky that we're able to balance the budget this year, but we have to be just careful knowing that we will continue to struggle with revenues for the next three years. And as we uh, come up uh, to the top of the hour, you know, we're going to go around the table and maybe just give some uh, I guess some final thoughts, you know, with this context that Representative Luke uh, has left with us about our struggle for the next several years. Uh, who wants to start? Nicole? Yeah, getting back to John from YTC's um, question about our regressive system. You know, Hawaii's tax system is, is regressive when you balance out the regressive and the progressive parts that Tom and Kaylee um, described, and I agree with Tom. It's regressive mostly because of our general excise tax, our sales taxes, uh, heavier on people with lower incomes because they spend almost all of their money on things that are taxed by the GDP. In Hawaii, low-income families, those who make, you know, are in the bottom 20% of the income scale, they're paying 15% of their income in state and local taxes, while those at the very top, the top 5%, they're only paying about 9% of their income in state and local taxes. Um, so we do have a regressive system here in Hawaii where lower income families pay more as a share of their income in state and local taxes than those at the top. That's why these bills like SB 56 have come along because as Sylvia Luke says, we're gonna need to get this, have this federal funding stretched out probably. Like we can't, we probably shouldn't spend it all at once. And so we do need to find ways to fill the holes in our budget. Tom, you have any final thoughts? Uh, sure. I'm, w w one of my big concerns is that, uh, you know, we're, we're considering, you know, new and enhanced taxes uh, at a time when the economy is, uh, you know, really got, us, uh, got a lot of us in the private sector on the ground. So it's like, you know, really kicking us when we're down. Um, there are, uh, I mean, the, you know, the state government is worried about furloughs. Well, uh, in, in the private sector, we're worried about A, layoffs, and B, businesses shutting down permanently. Uh, we're, not, we're not, you know, not in any way worried about, you know, perhaps uh, uh, getting, getting people uh, to stay home one day a month or two days a month. I mean, this is, this is way more serious. So uh, right now, I think there's an existential threat to 
uh, business in general, and, and we really shouldn't be uh, messing with it, uh, you know, to the degree that uh, you know, some people have proposed. Um, that's that's kind of where I see it. Okay, and uh, Kelly, uh, give us your final thoughts. Well, when it comes to good tax policy, it's really not about issues of fairness. It's about getting the right outcome. And it certainly shouldn't be about favoring one class over another. What we want is an economy that produces adequate jobs, housing, doctors, safety net, and revenues for the government. And, and that's important. And what we have to recognize is that if we tax the most productive economic members of the community, we cause them to have the incentive to either leave or move their money out of Hawaii. It's very important for the government to recognize it must reduce spending, reduce regulation, and reduce taxes in order to stimulate an economy that will provide the outcomes that we all desire. Well, we uh, certainly have lots to think about. There's a waning days of the legislature, lots of high-stake bills still in play, and you know we'll be getting to the committee process of our legislative uh, session. And so lots of uh, things to watch, particularly with this particular Enola Gay bill, Tom, uh, you know, from uh, 56 to uh, 58 now, the Franken bill, which you call. But lots of uh, concern about the transparency uh, as we uh, watch the lawmakers do the people's work as we close this session. We would like to thank our guests, Kelly Akina, president and CEO of Grassroot Institute of Hawaii, Tom Yamachika, president of the Tax Foundation of Hawaii, and Nicole Wu of the Tax Fairness Coalition. And we thank you, the listener, for joining us on today's show. Give us some feedback. Call our talk back line. You can also email us at hawaiipublicradio.org. Again, give us a call. Thanks so much for joining us. We will be back with the conversation on Monday. Thank you.